Welcome to the Moral Clarity Podcast. Are you fed up with political propaganda, pundits, talking points, or flat-out prevarication? Then the Moral Clarity Podcast is for you. You'll hear discussions of current issues from a biblical moral framework. Come, let's reason together with our host, Trevon. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the inaugural Moral Clarity Podcast. I am Trevon Gross. Now, over the past several years, I've become troubled with the lack of civility and comity displayed by people of the Christian faith towards people who hold different views, be they political, social, or philosophical views. We have abandoned God's standards for our social discourse and adopted culture's ways of interacting with one another, and thus, our online interaction is coarse, vile, unforgiving, and canceling. All things scripture forbids. It's becoming very difficult to tell the difference between when a Christ follower or an unbeliever makes a comment. Relationships have deteriorated. People have been cut off or canceled, and it's all because of which political candidate they supported or what political party they're a part of. How did we get here? I believe it happened because we expelled God from the public square and relegated him to church and home. The more our society moves from God, the more discordant our interactions have become. And do not be deceived. There is a movement to remove God completely from our lives, like he was removed from the public square. Even as I record this, a North American government is putting a fence around a church so its members who have been meeting physically distanced and with masks could no longer meet. Now, over the past year, Bibles have been burned in the streets. Multiple churches have been burned down. And in many countries around the world, Christians are being openly persecuted like during the days of the early church. We have a lot to be concerned about. To replace the true God, society created a social religion called social justice. And anyone who disagrees with that new religion is called a name, one of the ists or isms. We as American citizens are divided and scripture makes it clear in Mark 3.25. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And that's where we are. There are evil forces, and I do mean evil, that are pushing us further and further apart. And while we are fighting each other, our rights given to us by God are being taken away from us. And the powerful in this country are getting richer and more powerful. So what are these forces? Well, the first is politics. The duopoly we currently have is destroying this country because it is forcing people to pick an artificial side when most people don't easily fit within either of them. For the politically minded, you have been trying to figure out, well, which side is he on? Well, I'm on neither. I identify as a biblical Christian, and that's the only designation that I need. Now, both parties are broken, and there is not much of a difference between both of them from an implementation perspective. Their policies may be very different, but when they get to Washington, there is not much of a difference. 
Now, that will make some of you mad because I'm not on your side. However, I don't think a Bible-based Christian can be blindly devoted to these parties because from what I've seen, neither party cares about the people. And that's what they're supposed to be about. Political parties and their politicians are about power, and either party will do whatever they need to get and retain power. Our founders were rightly weary about political parties. George Washington said in his farewell address uh, on September 19, 1796, however they, political parties, may now and then answer popular ends, they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. The first president of the country said parties will over time subvert the power of the people. Now, Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1789, I never submitted the whole system of my opinions to the creed of any party of men, whatever, in religion, in philosophy, in politics, or in anything else where I was capable of thinking for myself. Such an addiction is the last degradation of a free and moral agent. If I could not go to heaven but with a party, I would not go there at all. Did you catch that? He said if the only way to go to heaven was aligned with a political party, he would prefer not to go there at all. John Adams, in a letter to Jonathan Jackson in 1780, wrote, There is nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader and concerting measures in opposition to each other. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. Rather than finding a home within a political party or ideology, we need to find our purpose and focus in Scripture. Look at what Frederick Douglass said. I have one great political idea. Now, that idea is an old one. It is widely and generally assented to, nevertheless, it is very generally trampled upon and disregarded. The best expression of it I have found in the Bible, it is in substance, righteousness exalteth a nation, sin is a reproach to any people. He continues, this constitutes my politics, the negative and positive of my politics, the whole of my politics. I feel it my duty to do in all my power to infuse this idea into the public mind, that it may be speedily and recognized and practiced upon by our people. This is the solution. It's not unwavering devotion to a political party, but standing for what the Bible stands for, which is righteousness. Or simply put, what is right in God's eyes. For too long, we've compromised in order to put our candidate in office and then remain silent as that politician tramples everything we believe as Christians. For years now, at every presidential election, it's always the lesser of two evils. How do we accept this? How do we keep on allowing this? We need to be able to say we will not vote for a candidate unless they are worthy of our vote. Yet, 
consistently we hold our nose and vote for the lesser of two evils. Now here's a revelation. The lesser of two evils is still evil. Look what our vote has gotten us. Almost 30 trillion in debt and the Social Security Fund has over 40 trillion in unfunded liabilities, which means by 2034 the fund will be depleted. Have you even heard about this? That means if you're 20 and 55 and younger, Social Security won't even have enough money to pay the benefits that you've earned. Shouldn't this be something we're focusing on? The Congress continues to push issues down the road in the hopes that someone else will deal with them. And to make matters worse, when COVID hit in the original CARES Act, while they gave us a couple thousand dollars, the Congress voted for itself a slush fund of $25 million. For what? Their salaries and staff were already being paid. There was no need for extra money. Yet they made sure they took care of themselves. We still don't know what this money was used for. Is that right? No. Our politicians in both parties have neglected us and taken care of themselves. The government shut down occupations and businesses, and at most a family received around $5,000. A year of lockdowns and $5,000? That's not right. Other countries gave real money to their people. Yet each time we got money, more of it went to other things or other countries. The $1.9 trillion American Rescue Act spent 9% on us. And $1.3 went to other things. I could go on and on, but we'll have time to deal with this in later programs. But politics is not the only driving force that's dividing us. The media and their devotees are as well. They manipulate us with cherry-picked information to ignite passions which get them ratings but not promote the truth. In fact, truth has been replaced with narrative. And they ask, what's the story we want to tell? And here's a real example. Look at these pictures. Picture after picture. We have kids in deplorable situations. This should not be acceptable in the richest country in the world. But where is the outrage about this? Now, not too long ago, under the previous administration, there was rage throughout the country about kids in cages and how immoral it was. Now, there are 720% more kids in cages, and they've even had to build more facilities. But yet, this time, there's silence. Why? Because your preferred candidate is in office. If kids in cages is wrong, then it's wrong no matter who is the president. But moreover, there is an immigration problem which we've all known about for two decades, and nothing has been done by the politicians to deal with any of these problems. How is that acceptable? It shouldn't be. Rather than the media helping us know the truth, they obscure the truth and feed us narratives that support their political position. Now, here's another example. Everybody's been talking about the new Georgia law, how racist it is, how even giving someone water is illegal. But yet you haven't heard many of the media outlets have had to post retractions and revise their stories to tell the truth. Unfortunately, even the president followed the lies of the media and repeated them. When we cannot trust the media, it's a problem. The Georgia law never said people couldn't get water. 
Yet how many Christ followers posted on social media how racist this is? The media and politicians have called this bill Jim Crow 2.0. You notice how they always evoke racist imagery? Now those who lived when the black laws and the Jim Crow laws were in place should be outraged by such a comparison. Jim Crow laws specifically targeted black people by race in their legislation. Nowhere in this bill are blacks singled out. In fact, I would argue the larger question for the citizen is what has gone wrong with our voting process that someone needs to stand in line long enough to even need water. All over the country, polling places are being reduced, and as I understand it, there are some rural counties that don't even have a polling place. And this affects poor people of all colors. This is unacceptable. But is anybody talking about it? No, because the powerful want us arguing over things that don't matter while they change the system to ensure their continued power. It's as if the politicians and the media are in lockstep. One seems to be the tool of the other. I'm just not sure which is which. But here's another example of media and their representatives blatantly lying to us. Remember the Capitol Hill officer, Brian Sicknick? who supposedly died the night of January 6th. For over a month, the New York Times and other outlets told us he died because he was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. They knew this wasn't true when they wrote it, but it fit their narrative of an insurrection. Yet the truth is he died from a stroke. He reported back to headquarters after the whole situation happened, and he interacted normally with the other officers. Some point later in the night, he suffered a stroke and was put on life support. Now, many of you are just hearing this for the first time. Why? Because it challenges the narrative, and the media never reported it. There were supposedly five deaths on January 6th, all as a result of the insurrection. However, only one has been labeled a homicide by the coroner, the woman who was shot by a Capitol Hill police officer. And we just learned that no charges will be brought against the officer who killed this unarmed woman. Now, all the other people died of natural causes not inflicted on January 6th. Now, does this mean that what happened on January 6th was right? Of course not. It just means we need the truth and not narratives, because narratives push agendas. And I believe as American citizens, we can handle the truth and think for ourselves. This is a nefarious agenda at work. Now, all of our broadcast media is controlled by a few corporations. The corporate media makes everything about race, and they want there to be riots in the streets because it gets them viewers, which means they make more money. Notice how everything now is white supremacy, black rage, or the new one now is stop Asian hate. I could go on and on and on, but we'll talk about this in subsequent episodes. The question then becomes, how do we combat these evil forces? Well, we need citizens who have moral clarity. Citizens who recognize the various agendas at work and reject them in favor of truth. There can be no unity around a lie. That is only deception. Truth is the foundation of unity, and sadly, we have been lied to far too often, and we've accepted it as the standard operating procedure. 
Trust in politicians and the media is at all-time lows, but we still watch and we still believe what they tell us and we blindly, uncritically repeat it. And I believe God wants this program to encourage us to talk, to question, or as Isaiah puts it, to reason together. I don't have all the answers, don't claim to, but I believe through discussion, understanding of history, and pursuing truth, we can identify the real issues facing our communities and our country and work to heal them. I'm not asking you to believe what I say on face value. I want you to research and produce facts that can inform truth. Not talking points or political spin and certainly not prevarication. I believe God calls us as citizens of the greatest country on the face of the earth to look honestly and morally at ourselves and work on our problems. That's the purpose of this program. We'll be able to interact and talk through issues. I'll have special guests who are subject matter experts to help educate us. The goal is to inspire moral citizens. Now, who is a moral citizen? A moral citizen is a biblically centered, fully informed, morally thinking, civilly acting problem solver. And I believe this type of citizen will bring glory to God. Now, there's a powerful quote I came across in my research. Two English con uh, congregational ministers traveled the country in 1834, and they summed up this country thusly. Universal suffrage, suffrage, universal right to vote, whatever may be its abstract merits or demerits, is neither desirable nor possible except the people are the subjects of universal education and universal piety. America will be great if America is good. If not, her greatness will vanish away like a morning cloud. The moments that America has been its greatest have been when it acted justly and righteously. We used to have a shared universal education and piety. We no longer have that. Children are taught to hate this country. You can't reform something you hate. You will only destroy it. And that's why people are burning down cities in this country. It's not out of love, but hate. And I want to contribute to making America good again. We've lost our virtue and our culture is in decay. Culture is downstream from worldview. In this country, we used to share the same worldview, even though there were different political parties and affiliations. What many people have done is reworked this statement to say culture is downstream from politics. And this is our problem. Because as we have become more political, our culture has become more crass and divided. We have adopted virtue signaling instead of virtuous action. We've accepted performance politics instead of permanent solutions. For instance, right after all the riots last year, many companies that had black faces on their products removed those pictures. For the first time in over a hundred years, you can hardly find a black or Native American on packaging. But for the racially minded now, none of the white people like Colonel Sanders or the uh, Quaker Oats man were removed. So what was accomplished? Absolutely nothing except taking royalty money from the ancestors of those people, the very people they were supposedly fighting for. Moving the MLB All-Star Game from Atlanta is another example. Major League Baseball hurt thousands of minority businesses by moving from Atlanta to Denver. 
Atlanta is 51% black and Denver is 9% black. How exactly does that help impoverished people who were looking forward to making a profit after a hard year of lockdowns? Why didn't the MLB move the game to a city like Baltimore? All of this virtue signaling and performative politics does nothing but hurt the very people they're supposed to be standing up for. We need more than window dressing. We need biblical justice. Christians should have a worldview, one of God's justice. We are commissioned by God to be agents of righteousness. We should be agents who bring righteous verdicts to our society. This is not judgmentalism, hear me clearly, but standing for what is right in God's eyes and helping change what is wrong in God's eyes. We know racism is wrong, but we can't solve racism with more racism or with politics. All white people are not racist. All black people are not criminals or thugs. I still believe in Dr. King's dream where people will be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. This is scripture's position in 1 Samuel 16, 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This program will help all of us translate our Christianity to our citizenship, our Bible-based values into the public square. After all, it was Christians and deists who populated this country and wrote its founding documents. It was their experience with religious and monarchical tyranny that caused them to write a constitution that does not grant our rights, but protects the rights that God gave us. Our right to speak freely, our right to self-defense, our right to assemble, our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness all come from God, our creator. So I ask you to join me. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Gab, and Parlor. The handle is The Moral Clarity. The Moral Clarity. Visit our website, moralclarity.com. We will go live at least once a week, I'm thinking, but I just want to please God by helping bring a productive conversation to the public square. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray now for this country that you would help us as people, as brothers and sisters in this nation, to trust you to heal this nation through our actions in alignment with your word. Help us stand for righteousness. Help us stand for right and stand against wrong. We pray for the president and for the members of Congress in every elected position that they would not put their self-interests above the interests of the people that they would truly be public servants and not pursue their own personal kingdoms. Help them be convicted that they're put there to please you and to bring about a good result for the people of this country, that they would do so with compassion, but they would also do so with courage, confronting real problems with real solutions. In Jesus' name I pray. And always remember, as Proverbs tells us, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. God bless you, and may God bless America. While the storm clouds, yeah.
Thanks for listening to the Moral Clarity Podcast, where you'll never hear political propaganda, pundits' talking points, or prevarication. There is an objective source of truth to guide us in discussions and decisions. It's the Bible. We'll see you next time on the Moral Clarity Podcast.